welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Reno, Nevada, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. I do want to encourage you, if you've not already, to pick up a copy of my book, Slime Incorporated. It's my first ever detective novel. It's a modern tale, but with a lot of uh, nods to classic detective fiction. Private detective Cole Eustick tries to untangle a web of murder and dirty politics set against the backdrop of a gubernatorial race. It has an overall four-star rating on Amazon, and I think you'll enjoy it. You can get it as a paperback, an audiobook, or as an ebook. You can find all of my books, audiobooks, and ebooks at store.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for today's episode of Nightbeat. The original air date is May the 18th of 1951. This is the start of the second season of Nightbeat. I should say the second run of Nightbeat. The title is Jukebox Romance. NBC presents... Frank Lovejoy in Night Beat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the Night Beat for the Chicago Star. Yep, I cover the Night. My beat is about eight square miles of darkness, and mister, that's a lot of night. Every evening I start walking into it, and let it swirl around me, and let it swallow me up. Part of me relaxes, part of me becomes tense and weary. Like a hunter coming back to the jungle, I feel at home, but I know that there's danger. For the night is filled with its own brand of people. A lonely, lost, screwy, mixed-up people of the night. Drifting out of the darkness like fragments of a nightmare. You look like a decent sport. You don't want a poor, suffering human being to go hungry for one of a dime. Yeah, a disembodied hand stretched out for that ever-loving coin to buy just another whiff of that fine old anesthetic named Muscatel. <laughs> or a brittle lash of a painted pussy rising out of the night, proving to the world she doesn't care. Laughing until the tears come. And a flurry of footsteps rushing by. A muffled conversation deciding life or death or tonight's movie. An ambulance racing past on its way to General Hospital. Its red warning light flashing on and off quickly. Like the frenzied pulse beat of the poor devil inside. Randy Stone, Demon Witchwater. Hiya, all right. How's the old crusader? Night is for the phony, too, like this character coming toward me while I was grabbing a bite in the little restaurant next to the radio and TV studio. The actor, on stage 24 hours a day. Ah, you mind if I sit down next to you, baby? Yeah. What do you say? How's the kid, huh? Oh, the kid's fine. Teething like mad. Nothing serious. <laughs> Barrel of laughs, this character. Real sense of humor. You know, I love that column of yours, baby. With me, it's like a shot of density. Uh-huh. The only lack I find in it is that I never see any mention of, uh, guess whom? Whom? John Bruce, the world's greatest thespian. Also available for wakes, weddings, and beer bars. You couldn't see your way clear to letting go of my sleeve so I can finish my coffee. 
How do you like this, citizen? You can insult you till you curl up and die, and you still love it. Look, I know the minute I'm out of your sight, you're going to forget me, so I'm going to give you this little postcard to hang on to. If your show can stand the boost, ask for the lad they call John Bruce. Well, it rhymes, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to be going, though. Remember, baby, I don't mind what you say as long as you say something, huh? Yeah. That's the uh, Bruce spelled with a B. I know it's spelled with a B. <laughs> A great, big, beautiful hunk of zero. The sincere brown eyes continually shifting, sizing you up and figuring you out. A friendly smile so phony you look for the safety pins only get in place. Ah, relax, it's a big night. You walk half a block and John Bruce is lost forever. Because there's always something waiting up ahead. I just turned down Grand Avenue. Oh, now there's one of the nice chilly little sounds for you, a burglar alarm shattering the quiet. I looked down the dark, empty street trying to figure out which door, and I saw a child come darting out of the doorway and began racing the other way. A child. Hey, stop! Stop! I tried racing after it, but there wasn't a chance. I went back to the store. It was a sporting goods place. One window smashed and blood splattered on the glass like the kid had used his naked fist to get to the display of guns and knives inside. After the cops came and I told them what I knew, I continued my wanderings. Down through the Lincoln Park district and up through Honky Tonk Road. Wild neon signs making the night bleed red and green and purple. And then the little jazz combo beating their brains. And the barkers, their gold teeth flashing as they bang their chains against the sidewalk and shout about the 12 dancing girls waiting just for you. And they all chant hawking popcorn and hot tamales in a little child's wagon. And George, a 35-inch dwarf who sold newspapers with Clark and Mike. Evening, Georgie. How's it going? Fine and dandy. Better than good. Always say one for little Georgie. Uh, give me the Sun-Times. Always good to see what the competition's up to. They are. Paper, read all about it. Get your paper. That's ah, a lovely Get headline. Paper. One of those silly jerks in the wake of... Hey, George. Yeah. Uh, maybe the way things are in the world, this is a good idea, but this one of them started printing the paper in blood. Huh? What are you talking about? Look for yourself. Smeared all over. That's the way I got it. Yeah, I'll give you another. Thank you. Now, let go of my hand. It's soaking through the bandage, George. I cut myself in a can opener. Mm-hmm. I hope you went to a doctor. Doctor? You've got to get all the glass. I got all it. I told you, it was a can opener. All I saw in that window was guns and knives. I thought it was a kid. Okay. So you got yourself a story. Get on the phone. Call a cop. What are you waiting for? Waiting for you to start telling me why a sweet guy is acting like such a dope. What is it, Georgie? Almost one o'clock, a little more than an hour, and she'll be here. Go on. Go on. Call the cops. You'll be doing me a favor. If you don't, I'll kill him. I swear I'll kill him. He'll show up in an hour and you'll kill him. Kid, you lost me. All right, Mr. Stone. You're a good guy. You're entitled to a laugh. Come on. <laughs> 
Follow me. He dumped his papers onto the sand and started across the street. Thirty-five inches of desperate humanity. I followed him around back and down the stairs of an old settlement. He stopped at the basement door to fish out his key. I followed him inside a dark, dank hole. He flicked the switch. Fluorescent lights fished on, throwing a cold white glow over walls draped in black velvet. There were dark booths in a small bar. It was empty, deathly quiet. I knew the establishment, an after-hours joint. When all the legitimate bars closed, those who still sought refuge from the night come to places like this. George headed straight for the only bit of brightness in the room, a gleaming aluminum jukebox in the corner. In the center of the jukebox was a neon mouth, and within the mouth, a microphone. Other neons spelled out the message, Ask Your Tune. It operated like your telephone. Somewhere a girl sat at a switchboard connected to 50 such jukeboxes and taverns all over the city. George stood glaring at his tiny reflection in the jukebox, shiny coat. I hate it. I'd like to smash it to pieces. What, the jukebox? The owner of this joint gave me a key so I could come in and get warm on cold nights. Yeah? Only you can see for yourself when you're alone. This place can give you the creeps. I thought maybe your tune would cheer me up. I started hossing around with this jukebox, feeding it my loose nickels. Like this. And then her talking to me. What tune would you like? It's me, Julie. Oh, hello, darling. Darling? I'm so excited, George, just one more hour. Help me, I've got goose symbols. Yeah. Me too, Julie. We'll do it just like we planned. I certainly can't understand your feelings, and I admire you for them. So before the boss catches me spooning, I better play a record. Not a record, Julie. The record. The record. Okay, you can start laughing any time you want, Mr. Stone. What's this all about, George? Ten seconds of conversation with every record. It started as a gag, me playing the big lover because she couldn't see she was talking to a dwarf. <laughs> the big joke, huh? <laughs> On me. Because talking to her every night, I don't know. Something started happening to me inside. Happening to both of us because she felt it too. She really did, Mr. Stone. I mean, an understanding. I don't know. I don't know the word. But she felt it too. And then he had to ruin it. Destroy it. Yes, it was soap opera at its subject. The little dwarf and his love affair was Julie the Jukebox Girl. So help me, Georgie even invented an invalid wife. That was his reason why he and Julie could never meet except through the jukebox. But like all little melodramas taken from life, there was also a villain. One of the men who worked in this joint happened to overhear George filling his heart out. And as a gag, when George wasn't around, he told Julie that the poor guy was dying to meet her in person. That they should get together at least once. And that's what's scheduled for 2 a.m., huh, this meeting? Yeah. It was Julie's idea. I mean, the way it's going to be. The record made her think of it. The record? 
Yeah, it's from Troy Sarkowski, is that what they call him? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, he and his baroness, some fancy ladies, they had a friendship for letters, and they thought that they had to meet at least once. So one day they passed each other in carriages and nodded without a word and went on. Never saw each other again. And was good enough that Sarkowski was good enough for Georgie and Julie, huh? Yeah. She'll be wearing a green hat and a sprig of violets. I'll be wearing a red flower. Well, you think she'll be a little surprised at what she's going to see, Mr. Stone? Isn't that a joke? Yeah, it's okay for you to laugh. Go on, laugh, Mr. Stone. Laugh! <laughs> I turned. He was a big, paunchy, bald-headed gent, <laughs> standing in the doorway, having himself a wonderful I'm time. It was right out of Max Sennett, a barrel of laughs. George, the dwarf charging right into the big guy who merely lifted him up, shrugged his shoulder, and sent the little fellow flying across the room, crashing into a wall. Oh, what a character that little monkey is, huh? Did he tell you about his romance? So you're stupid. That's me. I'm even willing to stake him to that rose for his lapel. Nothing's too good for lover boy. What a line he's got. You gotta hear it to believe it. Okay, George. The knife in George's hand would have looked much better back in that sporting goods window. He moved out of the shadows. He moved towards the big guy. A trickle of blood ran down George's mouth, but he didn't know anything about that. Put that knife away or I'll shove it down your throat. But George kept coming. The smile on the big man's face took a leave of absence. Hey, come on now, George. Yeah, what's the matter? Can't you think it's joke? A beat of sweat started zigzagging down his face, mixing with the talcum powder. His lips continued to work, but now no words came out. Because this thing coming towards him, this wasn't a comical little dwarf. This was death. NBC is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Enjoy the very best in radio. Be sure that you dial and light. Seems like the very best in radio. Morning, noon, and night. It's from this station. Morning, noon, and night. And now back to Night Beat and Randy Stone. George the Dwarf was passing in front of me on his way to the big guy who'd loused up his romance with Julie the jukebox girl. The knife glinted in his hand and he didn't even know that I was there. The only other person in all the world existed for him at that moment was a heavily perspiring fat man. And as George came just a little closer, I lunged twisted his arm back until the knife clattered to the floor. I reached down for it as George tore loose and ran out of the door. How do you like that little character trying to knife me? I'm going to call a cop so fast. Wouldn't that be a little awkward, seeing how the joint here is slightly illegal? Huh? Uh, well, one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to tell this Jane on the jukebox who she is dealing with. I'm going to tell her this crazy punk Mister. You even say howdy to that girl, and I might decide to find George and give him back this knife. 
I found George all right, slumped against his newsstand, all through wanting to kill anybody. I told him I'd see the cops, and maybe they'd say it was okay if George paid for all the damage to that sports store and behave himself from now on. That didn't make him feel much better, because it was getting awfully close to two o'clock and his meeting with Julie. I told him that I'd call Julie and inform her that he'd suddenly come down with a slight case of bubonic plague or something. I got the name of the company off the jukebox in the after-hours joint. The Acme Music Company. I found a phone booth, reached for a coin, and instead came up with a card that said, If your show can stand a booth, ask for the lad they call John Booth. And John's beautiful, phony face smiling up at me. All of a sudden, I was looking for the phone number at the bottom of the card, and then I began dialing like mad. That's got to be her. Which one? Coming down the street. Green hat, a sprig of violet. Yep. Wow. This is going to be a distinct pleasure, baby. I just remember what you're supposed to do, baby. You walk past, you nod, and you keep walking. What's the mystery all about? You can level with Brucey boy. Ten bucks. No questions asked. That was the agreement. And I at least mumbled some quote about... You open your mouth for anything but breathing. Okay. Okay. He's almost reached the corner. Move. I stepped back to the paper stand where George was waiting. Together we watched Julie and John Bruce approach each other. Mr. Sikowski never had it so good. He was really something out of body beautiful. As the two approached, George's hand unconsciously fastened on my arm. Now Julie and John were passing each other, their eyes meeting. George's hand began to tighten. Julie. Oh, how beautiful. How beautiful. Julie nodded to John Bruce, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw little George nod in return. For one sickening moment, I thought Bruce was going to open his mouth and go into a monologue, but somehow he controlled himself. They passed each other and went on. I looked down at George. His eyes were shining. It was me. What I said to her, pouring out my heart, that brought her here tonight. Sure, Yeah. But why couldn't it really have been me? Why couldn't it have been me, Mr. Stone? Ask the stars. Maybe they had an answer for you, Georgie. Me, I had work to do. I still had my story to find. Somewhere among the waiters, holding their tuxedos away, yawning as they changed into their street clothes. Somewhere among the jazz musicians, their faces waxing with fatigue, their shirt collars soaked in sweat, but still reaching for that beautiful, pure note. Somewhere in the police wagons, screaming insanely down the street. Somewhere in the yellow lights of the general hospital. A mile of empty warehouse. A strip of breezy pier. A desolate park. In an alley, on a street corner. Somewhere in the night, my story was waiting for me. And now, that was all that mattered. By morning, I'd forgotten all about George and Julie and John Bruce. I'd finished my column and I'd gone home to snooze. Only my saga of the jukebox wasn't ended. It had only just begun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hiya. I wake up after 10 a.m. Well, well, what do you know? What do you want, Bruce? 
I do okay? Well, you are magnificent. I'll see you. Oh, uh, wait a minute, Randy. Yeah. The, uh, fraud. Yeah. Uh, friend of yours? No. What was that routine? You got old Johnny Boy guessing. Well, we're good for Johnny Boy. See you, Randy. Uh, Randy, uh, look, as long as she's not a friend, like they say, where can I locate this kid? Maybe we'll have a couple of laughs together. Huh? Uh-uh. No kidding, baby. Where can I find him? Goodbye, now. Yeah, when you're in my racket, when you deal with these characters on the night beat, brother, you've got to be prepared for the totally unexpected. Johnny Boy had fallen for the lady of the jukebox like a ton of bricks. Of course, he couldn't come right out and say it plain and simple. He had a hammock right up to the hilt, but I knew the score. And from then on, he haunted me night and day. Ah, come on, Randy. Who is she? Where can I find her? <laughs> Give the girl a break, huh? He cornered me on the street, at the newspaper, at my home. Who is she, Randy? Come on, be a pal. What's wrong with me looking her up and giving her a little attention? Day after day after day. Where can I find her, Randy? What's the big mystery? For a while, I even enjoyed it. He was sweating, and on him it looked good. But I guess this morning, I just wasn't in the mood. I'd come down to the office around 5 a.m., in any newspaper office that time of day is a pretty sad affair. Cleaning women flushing their way up and down the aisle. The gray, listless dawn flat against the windows, the empty desk. And me with one of those real sour little tales to write about a... About a bum they found behind some garbage cans on Skid Row. A bum with a distinguished service cross pinned to the pocket of his filthy shirt. One of those gallant young gods that we swore we'd never forget. Yeah, I was feeling Jim Dandy as I sat down to my typewriter and I whipped a hunk of paper into the roller. And then I saw John Booth standing in the shadows across the room from me. Hello, Randy. Well, friend, I'm not in the mood this morning. I've got work to do. Randy, you've got to listen to me, right? They found him a little after midnight behind a wine shop. Randy, you've got to tell me where I can find him. Just uh, another bum. We bring it off. Randy, listen to me. You got to tell me what. Look, what's this? I'm telling you nothing. You understand that? One dame is going to escape the same John Booth charm. It's a very small tragedy. Now, clear out of it. If you'll only listen to me, please. I'm slightly bored with listening to you, Mr. Booth. I'm even more bored with looking at you, Mr. Booth. You're so phony it sticks out like measles, Mr. Booth, from your crisp, curly hair right down to your beautifully polished shoes. If this comes as a great surprise... No great surprise. There's one kind of guy keep that kind of news from himself. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm pretty tired. I don't know what it is. I won't even try to explain it. I can't explain it to myself. It's that success bug. It's dog eat dog. Anything goes as long as you make it. Why do you have to make it? Does it say so in the Constitution? Look, but about her, right? I'm not putting on any act about her, Randy. I'm a big boy now. Love at first sight, am I kidding? Listen, Randy. We just exchanged a look, maybe five seconds. And until the day I die, I won't be able to forget it. I guess that sounds like some more of Johnny Boy's routine, huh? No. Go on. Go on? What can I tell you? How do you explain it? 
But in those few seconds, I saw something I've been looking for all my life, Randy. Something genuine. Something real. Something... Well, maybe I saw my own salvation, Randy. Or maybe I was just kidding myself, selling myself a bill of goods. But I gotta find out. I gotta see her again, talk to her. Maybe the minute she opens her mouth, the dream will come thumbing down like Humpty Dumpty. I don't know. I don't think so. Now, where is she, Randy? The Agnew Music Company. Only take your time. She doesn't show up until night. I don't know why I did it. Maybe it was something I saw in John Bruce's eyes that made me feel if I didn't tell him, well, it would have been a bum deal for Julie. I wanted to reach George right away, try to explain what I'd done, but I didn't know where to look for him except at his newsstand. In my world of the night, all you ever know about anyone is where they are right now. I didn't sleep much that day. Making George understand wasn't going to be any sense. But he had to know that this had been a sick thing that could only hurt him in the end. That night, I hurried right onto his newsstand, only he wasn't around. I started worrying, and on a hunch, I went across the street to the after-hours joint. The door was ajar. I went in. He was there, squatting in front of his jukebox, listening to his song. His back. my mind like crazy for the right words. He was fumbling with some coins and he slipped one of them into the jukebox. Like it, darling? Oh, you know I do. Every time I hear it, I see you again. So beautiful. You're pretty beautiful yourself, Mickey. Julie, it's wonderful to hear you say that. I backed out quick. I didn't get it. Why hadn't she gone with John Booth? I hopped a cab for the Acme Music Company, a dilapidated office in a loft on Huron Street. Front door was open, so I went on inside. An empty desk with papers scattered all over, but nobody around. I went into a dark hallway marked No Admittance. Ahead of me was a lighted glass door with the word Studio painted on it. I started for it when someone came running up behind me. Hey, you, can't you read the sign? No Admittance. I thought that was very clear. There wasn't anybody at the desk. You're telling me something I don't know? Hmm, quitting without a minute's notice. That's a fine thing, huh? Mister. That way, that Sally, she'll win a reference someday. I'll give her a reference, all right. Now, come on. Sally, is she the one who quit? Without a minute's notice. A jerk comes popping in. I, I was watching him back. Next thing you know, she's walking out of here with him. But that's okay. Someday she'll want a reference. Sally to... is a dark-haired girl, beautifully built. So she's beautifully built. Big deal. Come on, mister. I got 50 things to do. Then that would be Julie working in the studio up ahead. So? Well, do you mind if I peek in through the door? Then I'll go. You want to peek? All right, peek. But Julie, I'm not worried about her running off. But Julie, I'm safe. Yes, he was safe with Julie. As I looked through the glass door, I thought, sure, it figures, two can play the same game. The dwarf had had his John Bruce, and Julie had her Sally. 
Julie couldn't have shown up for a meeting with George even if she wanted to because I very much doubt that Julie could have lifted her 350 pounds out of that chair. Huge, sprawling Julie, working like mad at a switchboard with its flashing lights and jukeboxes all over the city. And then while I watched as she answered one call, something happened. Her eyes lit up in a strange and wonderful way. Then she flicked the switch that played a certain record for a certain jukebox, and her eyes became even more bright. I didn't have to hear the rest of the record. She was playing their song for the guy George. And all of a sudden, I realized how right George was. Julie was. That's how it is when you walk the night, babe. You always know that if you walk far enough and long enough, and if you keep your eyes open and you listen very carefully, sooner or later in the darkness, you'll find the city's heart. Yeah, yeah. Bobby, boy. <laughs> Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's story was written by Larry Marcus, with music by Robert Armbruster. The part of John Bruce was played by Bill Conrad. Jeff Corey was George. Others in tonight's cast were Betty Lou Gerson, Ray Hartman, and Eddie Fields. Frank Lovejoy can currently be seen co-starring with Joan Crawford and Robert Young in Warner Brothers' Goodbye, My Fancy. Listen next week at this time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange story waiting for him in the darkness. Night Beat came to you from Hollywood. Hi, this is Andrew from otrwesterns.com. I wanted to invite you to come take a look at our site where we put out podcasts of old-time radio westerns. Check us out at otrwesterns.com. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old-Time Radio with Adam Graham. Now let's get back into the show. Welcome back. A great episode. I had forgotten about these... uh operator-driven jukeboxes, but I do also remember seeing one of these in a Charlie Chan film. So, this is one of these forgotten pieces of 1950s uh, technology. The episode does begin with a little bit of a segment that lets people who may have just tuned in to Nightbeat have an idea of what this show is all about, which, given that it had been off the air for six months, with the exception of that one show they did in March of 1951. was probably a pretty good idea. I love the humanity of this story. And Randy's constant care and kindness 
towards folks that other people would just uh, totally disregard, which just makes him such a great hero. I also loved William Conrad's character in this. I don't think I've ever heard him act quite so powerfully as he did in this episode. It's just another beautiful piece. I particularly like the twist where it does turn into a bit of a happy twist ending for everyone involved. All right, well, now on to listener comments and feedback. And Stephen uh, comments, uh, one of the beauties of Nightbeat is that you actually don't know how it will turn out. With Nightbeat, it is equally, li equally likely um, that the artist, uh, and this is in episode 2259, the slasher, the artist will... Uh, scar or kill the girl or kiss her. With some shows, you know it will be a happy ending. And with others, Pat Novak, for example, you know everyone will end up dead. With not beat, anything can happen. Thanks again for all you do. And that is definitely a real appeal of this uh, program. Thank you so much, Stephen. Also received a comment from Kevin. Kevin says, I'm really enjoying the summer of Radio Bogart. Thanks for sharing. Thank you, Kevin, and I would encourage you to check out our Summer of Bogart, uh, if, if you've not already, at amazing.greatdetectives.net. We have our prior series there as well, but uh, Summer of Bogart will be continuing through Labor Day week, so I uh, encourage you to check that out. All right, that will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow for That Hammer Guy. Next Monday, another episode of Not Beat. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Check out our YouTube archive, youtube.greatdetectives.net, and follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. But from Reno, Nevada, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.